So uh, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the Gospels chronologically, looking at the life of Jesus. We are back to John chapter 9. We took a brief pause last week for Easter, but we're back to John chapter 9. We looked at the very beginning of this passage two weeks ago, but we're going to look at the rest of it today. And I want us to think about this together as we look at it, is what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus in a changing landscape? Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but if you look at the statistics and what's going on in our world, what's going on in our country in particular, uh, right now, um, in the last 50 years, if you go back 50 years, uh, you could actually go back to the day I'm born. I'm 46 years old. You go back 46 years ago, uh, 90% of Americans profess to be Christians. 90% of Americans would say that they were a Christian in some denomination in some way uh, 50 years ago. And now, today, that number is 64%. in America now profess to be believers. For the first time ever, right after COVID, uh, church attendance of those that say they attend a church or go to a local church dropped below 50% in America. And so that's never been the case in the history of our country and following those statistics. And for the first time, it's just dipped under 50%. And so you start to look at all those things, but then you look at the trends that are happening now within the church, within the, the Christian church in America and those that claim to be Christian. And there's denominations and places and different ways in which we're, we're rethinking the way uh, we believe and what we believe. And so there's denominations and churches now that are embracing things that go directly against what Scripture says. Are, are starting to embrace in different ways uh, things that are long been held in the Orthodox Christian church that we believe and that we've said. And it's starting to kind of erode in different ways. Oftentimes you'll just hear, uh, well, that's your interpretation. And and usually, not always, but usually what that means when somebody says that is basically I'm going to believe whatever I want to believe. And you can try to tell me that's your interpretation, but it's it's often in the face of things that Scripture clearly says. And so you look at all that and you go, where are we headed in our church today? I mean, the church universal, the Christian church in the world today. And if things progress as they're going in my children's lifetime, uh, being a Christian in America, they're going to be in the minority. If things consider continue in the way that they are and you start to look at like, well, what does that look like and what does that mean? And how do we remain faithful in the midst of that sort of opposition and those kind of things? And so I want us to think about that in light of this passage in John chapter nine today. We looked at this. Like I said, we started this two weeks ago. You have this man that was born blind and Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples and he sees him and he ends up healing this man, when we looked at it uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the very beginning of the passage where his disciples asked, they asked this question, why was he born blind? Is it because his parents sinned or because he sinned? And Jesus says, it's neither. That's, that's not the case here. His specific sin does not equal his specific suffering. But what we talked about two weeks ago is how God does work through suffering. And that he is in control and he is over those things. And we hit on that. But today, I want us to focus on what happens to this man after he's healed. Because Jesus miraculously heals him in kind of a weird way. He, he takes mud, uh, takes the dirt and spits on it and makes mud and puts it on the guy's eyes and tells him to go wash. And when he does, he can now see. But as we've been looking at the, the chronological order of Jesus' life, we're well into the third year. And there's a great opposition to Jesus now with the religious leaders. And they can't accept that he's done this and they're trying to discredit him and they're trying to discredit this man and they're kind of attacking him. And so that's what I want us to see today and want us to look at. What does it look like when you come under attack? 
When you're professing, you see what Jesus has done in your life as this man does. He knows he was blind. He knows God's healed him. He's professing this, but the attack comes. And so how do you remain faithful in a world like that? If that's kind of where we're headed and that's the things that we're seeing around us, how do you remain faithful in a world like that? And so the way I want us to think about this is the truth is all of us can struggle at different times. We can all have things that we're wrestling with. We can all have crisis of faith or doubts or things that arise. That's true of all of us. You become a believer and it's not just everything goes away and everything perfectly falls into place. But as you continue in your life, those things happen. And so one of the things that we talk about here uh, in our church is that uh, when, when those things happen or when we're struggling with negative emotions or struggles, um, we can think uh, in the terms of what are we not believing is true about God. And so we say that a lot here. If you've been in our missional communities or around our church, we talk in those ways. Sometimes if I'm having negative emotions or fear or anxiety, and it's like, well, what am I not believing? What am I not believing is true. And one of the tools that we use in our church is we talk about the four G's. If you've never heard this before, do it real quickly. Big picture, but I want you just to understand it. Oh, it helps you diagnose areas of unbelief in your heart. And so when we say the four G's, what we mean by that is usually we can come back to four things. One of four things we're not believing is true about God when we struggle in different ways. And so what we say when we talk about the four G's, we say God is great. He is glorious, he is gracious, and he is good. Great, glorious, gracious, and good. And when I forget one or two or three or all of those, all sorts of struggles can come. I'm not believing what is true about who God is, and I can wrestle with these things and I struggle with it. And so the truth is, as a believer, saving faith in Jesus, at different times in your life, you still struggle with unbelief. And I don't mean that you don't believe in God. And I don't mean that you don't believe that Jesus is your savior, but in the moment, in the struggle of life, in the things that are crowding in on you, it's easy to start to slip into unbelief in different ways, right? When we talked about last week, this man born blind and wrestling through struggles of life, it's easy to forget that God is great. And what I mean by that is that God is sovereignly in control of all things, even your circumstances that you're in right now. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. That God is great and he is in control. And because he's in control, I don't have to be. But what happens when the circumstances of life push in, we try to take control. We forget that God's great. We forget that he's in control. And we need to be reminded of that. And so when we say God is great, we mean he's sovereignly in control of all things. Or when we say God is glorious, say I don't have to fear others. I'll tell you what I mean by that. If I see God as the best thing that there is, that he is glorious above all else. I care more what God thinks and what he says than what our world thinks. I care more what God says about what is true than what our culture thinks. I see God as glorious. It leads me to get my validation and my acceptance from who God is, not from what the world says. Right? So like peer pressure. People in your life, they go, that's crazy. And you go, I'm going to go with God on this. I'm going to trust what God says over what people in front of me say. I don't have to fear others. I don't have to get my validation from them. And so I need to be reminded that God is glorious so that I don't fear others. The third one, we say God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. And what we mean by that is you are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus does for you. You transfer your trust to Jesus and it's all him 
And it's his righteousness given for you by grace through faith. God now sees you wrapped in Jesus's righteousness. You are perfect in his sight all because of what Jesus has done. But yet we forget that. We want to make it what I do. We want to make it how good I am, how well I'm doing. I want to pull that back and start to prove myself. Well, God loves me because I'm a good person and it's what I do. And I can forget that God is gracious. And so we need to be reminded that God is gracious. You don't have to prove yourself. Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. But then the last one, we say God is good. We say God is good. So we don't have to look elsewhere. And what I mean by that is that God alone will satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. You're created to know and to love him. I talked about this last week in the Easter sermon. That God has carefully constructed you to love him. To love God and then to love people. To rest in how he's made you and for his presence and for his love and to know him. God is good. He alone can satisfy your deepest needs. And when we forget that, we go looking for it somewhere else. We go try to find that love and that acceptance and those things in other things. And when we do, we need to be reminded, no, 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 God is good. He alone will meet your needs. You can trust him in everything. You don't have to look elsewhere. So why do I tell you all that? Well, we use that here a lot. We talk that way. So it's good for us to be reminded of that. But I think you actually see with the man born blind, him holding to these things real clearly. He gets this attack on him, right? Jesus comes along, heals him. He goes from being born blind his entire life to now seeing. And the religious leaders of the day are trying to discredit the whole thing. And they're saying to him, call Jesus a sinner. Denounce what he did. Say that you weren't really blind. They call his parents in and they start to question them. And he's getting this barrage from all these places. But I think what you see in this passage is that this man knows that God is gracious. That he knows that he's glorious and he knows that he's good. And that's how he withstands all of this. And so I want us to look at that together. And so let's just start with how he knows that God is gracious. And so what you get in this passage, and if you go back to what we looked at last week, real briefly, like verse uh, 2, it says his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, right? Or verse 1, it says they passed by and they saw a man blind from birth. Or when he gets healed, they bring his parents in and they ask him, was he born blind? And they say, yes. He's been blind since he was born. And so we get real clearly that this man was blind. Uh, His life had been difficult in some ways because he was now a beggar. We talked about this two weeks ago. He's sitting on the side of the road begging for a living as a blind man who can't care for himself in these ways. And so he's had a difficult life and he meets Jesus. And they ask this question about was it his sin? And we already kind of covered that, but it was not because of specific sin in his life. But Jesus says... It's not specific sin in his life, but it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so that's what Jesus tells them. And he heals the man. He puts the mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash and he's healed. But here's the thing I want you to consider about this guy in particular. He knows without a shadow of doubt that he's never been able to see in his life, right? He got up that day, never being able to see, not knowing he's going to meet Jesus. He meets Jesus and now he can see. And he knows without a shadow of doubt that it was because he met this man and he did this thing for him and now he can see. That his life went from not being able to see to being able to see and he emphatically knows that it wasn't his doing. 
And the truth is, that's the story of every single one of us as we come to faith. You are blind, spiritually speaking. The Bible even talks in these, this language and in this way. And when the Spirit moves in your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He opens your eyes to see Jesus, and it's a work of God in your life. In fact, the Bible says it more emphatically than that. It says you are spiritually dead. Right? This is what it tells us, that you were dead and God moved in your life and he caused you to become alive. Ephesians chapter 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? Paul says that in Ephesians 2. You were dead. And God moved in your life and he caused you to become alive. Jesus moved and caused you to come to life. He says the same thing in Titus chapter 3. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Do you hear what he says? You were dead and you were following your flesh and you were doing all these things in your life and not because of any works that you did in your life, but because of the mercy of God, he moved in your life and he opened your eyes and you went from death to life. Same thing in the passage we looked at last week for Easter. Colossians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. I could go on and on. That's not the only time it says this. It says this over and over and over and over again. That you were dead in your sin, but the spirit moves in your life opens your eyes to see Jesus, and that's why you came to faith. And that is true of every single person in the room that is professing faith in Jesus. God's grace, he moved in. You were just like the blind man that's sitting on the road, a beggar, and Jesus comes along and does this work in your life, and now your eyes are opened. But what I want you to see here with this man in particular is he knows this. Right? He knows. He knows without a shadow of a doubt. Right? They start attacking him and asking him, and he kind of throws his hands up and he goes, all I can tell you is that I was blind and now I see. And he knows without a shadow of doubt that God moved in his life for him to be able to see. And so here's the thing that I want you to consider. That's true of all of us, but over time we often forget that. It starts to become kind of ho-hum, kind of used to it. Yeah, 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 I know. I know, it's a miracle. God saved me. I get it. But then we just get back to our life and we forget that. Or you become a believer and God starts to work in your life and he's changing you from one degree of glory to another and he's reshaping your life and you're starting to love him and to love people and things are changing and you're a pretty good person. It's the way you start to think, well, I'm pretty good. And you read Ephesians 2 or you read Titus 3 where it says we were foolish and disobedient and led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures. And you go, yeah, but I wasn't that bad. And you start to be deceived about the reality of how God saved you. 
that you were spiritually dead and he opened your eyes and you start to believe, well, I kind of did part of that. Yeah, 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 I was a sinner and I was a mess, but I wasn't as bad as those people over there. And what happens is we start to forget that we were spiritually dead, that there was nothing that we could do, that it was all God's movement in our life for us to come to life. And when that happens, we start to get into the slide of unbelief that God is gracious. And we start to think, well, I contributed some. Yeah, yeah, God is gracious, but I did these things or I did this part. And we start to operate in those ways. And as soon as we do, as soon as we start to think that pride that comes in, I'm pretty good. It leads us to looking down on other people. It leads to us not being gracious to those around us. We forget the grace that we have received. And then we start to be more uh, legalistic and exacting. And we start to go, I can't believe they're like that. And it's like, well, that's you, but for the grace of God in your life. And how easy it is to forget that. In fact, you see that with the religious leaders of the day with this man born blind, right? He says, I met this guy and he did this incredible thing and now I can see and they start attacking him. Right? Verse 27 or 26, they say, what did he do to you and how did he open your eyes? And this is the second time they've already asked him and he tells them and they go, they ask him again and they question his parents And he answered them, I've already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples, right? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, right? They don't want to hear anything about it. They're too smart and they're too good and they're too holy and Jesus is wrong and he can't be right. And they can't even see the miracle that's right in front of them because they're not trusting that God is gracious And they keep questioning him and they keep attacking him. It says right after that, that they reviled him. And then you get down to verse 33. And it says, he says to them, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's kind of making his case. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. Right. We talked about this two weeks ago, but what they're doing is they believe he was blind because of his sin or his parents sin. And so they're judging him and they're putting him in a different category and we will never listen to you and you can't teach us anything because you're worse than we are. They're not seeing that God is gracious. And how easy that is for that to happen to us, to forget our standing before God. And so if we're going to trust God in an ever increasing hostile world. It's so important that we hold fast to that God is gracious, because if you slip into believing that it's your doing. One, it's going to lead you to end up uh, addressing people in the way that they attack you. You're going to go right back at them the same way. And God tells us not to do that. He tells us that you don't understand the grace that you've received if you start to do that. But the more importantly, as you think about how this works. If you don't see that it's all God's grace, then you're believing that you've contributed to it. And what's happening is you're now walking in your flesh. Your flesh believes that you've contributed to your salvation. And when those attacks come, instead of trusting in God, you're trusting in yourself and you're in trouble. We are all in trouble. If we start to believe it's under my power and my doing, and it's not completely and totally Jesus. 
But here you see this man standing to these attacks because he knows without a shadow of doubt God has been gracious to him. He knows it's all God's grace. He knows he couldn't see and now he can see and it's all Jesus is doing. And so the first part here is seeing that God is gracious. Second part, and these all go together, right? So when we talk about the four G's, they all kind of intertwine together. But when we see God is gracious, it leads us to seeing that God is glorious. When we see the, the fullness of his grace and what he's done for us in our life, then we hold to his glory and we see him as more important than anything else. And so when we talk about the idea of God is glorious, oftentimes I think of it in terms of so you don't have to fear others. You go, what do you mean fear others? Think about the attacks that come at you today. Think about what this guy's facing, right? Jesus moves in his life. He goes from blind to seeing this incredible thing happens and they start attacking him, right? They start coming at him and, and saying all these things and saying, say he's a sinner, denounce Jesus. And he goes, I don't know that he's a sinner. All I know is that he's done this incredible thing in my life that I was blind and now I see. And they're going, no, 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 say that he's that he's a sinner. And they're attacking him. But I want you to notice what happens here in the middle of this. They call his parents in and they ask him. They ask the parents. They go, was he really born blind? Because they're they're really grasping at straws to discredit Jesus in any way they can at this point. Was he really born blind? And they say, yes. They say, well, how can he see now? And they go, we don't know. Ask him. We don't know what happened. But look at what John tells you in verse 22, why they say that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Right? Do you hear what they're saying? Go talk to him because they're afraid they're going to be put out of the synagogue. There's a very real persecution that's coming if you continue to confess jesus they've decided that you get thrown out of the synagogue now i want you to think about how important this is for a first century jew for you to be tossed out of your synagogue in the town in which you live that was like the center of everything as a jew it's where you went to worship it's where you gathered together. It's where your community was. And what they said is, if you continue to say these things, to profess Jesus, you're going to be kicked out. You're out. And so I want you to see the connection, though, because I'm telling you that's coming in our society. It's already here. If you hold fast to what the Bible says in different ways, people are going to go, you're crazy. How dare you say that? That's awful. I can't believe you would believe that. In some places, you might lose your job, depending on where it is and where you're working. If you hold to what the Bible says and what God tells us, there's going to be times where persecution comes. And that's not easy. And so how do you stand under the weight of that? You see that God is glorious. You hold fast to him. And it's not easy in a world that's ever growing kind of mob mentality. Sadly, we've gotten to a place in our culture where there's extremes. Everything's painted in an extreme. It's either far left or far right. And usually, almost all the time, following Jesus looks like neither one of those things. And if you stand up and you say, no, no, this is what Jesus says, you're going to be out of step with everybody. And what you're going to face is, what's wrong with you? 
You should be on this team or you should be on that team. And why are you saying that? And that's exactly what's happening to this guy here. But he stands firm and he continues to speak the truth. Right? They continue to attack him. Verse 24, so the second time they called the man who had been born blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you to open your eyes? Right. I love that. He just goes, this is all I can tell you. I was blind and now I see. And I'm going to hold fast to that because he knows the grace of God. He knows what Jesus has done in his life. And so how can he say anything else? This miracle has happened. This incredible thing has happened in his life. And so he holds fast and he says, no, no, no. I'm going to continue just to tell you what I know, which is I can now see. It's because he knows the grace of God in his life. And that leads him to see that God is glorious. See, when you know what God has done in your life, when you know who Jesus is, And you know how he saved you personally in your own life. And you know your own sinfulness. And you know the grace of God in you. And then somebody comes and says, say that's crazy. You're no way. I know who Jesus is. And I know how he's loved me. And I know what he's done for me. What do you mean, say, that he's a sinner? What do you mean, deny him? It makes no sense when you're loved like that by Jesus. I think you know this. I think you inherently know this in your own life. The people that love you the most are the people that you care about what they say the most, right? Isn't that true? I've said this for years, and I kind of say it half-jokingly, but I I really mean it. Uh, If there was a club for guys that married over their head, I would be the president. I'm pretty sure that I could be elected president of that club, right? Like I married way over my head. My wife's smarter than me. She's better looking. She's kind. She's gracious. She's a great mother. She's all those things, right? And she loves me really well. I tell her all the time, it's really easy to be married to you. And I mean that. It is easy to be married to her. She's wonderful. And because of that and because of the way she loves me and because of who she is, if somebody says to me, hey, that's a terrible idea, whatever it is, or the way I'm dressed, they go, you look terrible, which that may be true often. But I go to my wife and I go, is this okay? And she goes, yeah, I like it. That's all that matters. I don't care what anybody else says. I care what she says, right? Because I know she loves me. And I know she's with me. That's true of Jesus times infinite. The God of the universe that knows you, that created you, that came and gave himself for you, that laid down his life on your behalf. And he says, this is the way my world works. And somebody else says something else. And you go, I'm going with Jesus. You say that's crazy, but I know I was blind and now I see. What else could I do? And that's exactly what happens to this man. He sees that God is glorious because he knows the grace that he's received. He knows that he was blind and now he sees. He knows when they're attacking him, he's going, I'm going to stick with Jesus in this. And when you understand that God is glorious, right, which flows out of understanding that he's gracious. 
And when you know this, this makes perfect sense. And you can answer the way he answers. I love this guy. We never even get his name. But I can't wait when we get to heaven. I want to have a conversation with this guy. I love the way he answers. I love what he says. I love the way they attack him. And he just continues to keep his cool. They say, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, I told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? I love that there's got to be a little bit of like snarkiness to that, right? He knows how frustrated they are with Jesus and how mad they are about him. And he kind of throws in that little bit. Do you want to become his disciple too? And he asked that question and they get so frustrated. They reviled him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from, right? We don't even know where he comes from. And without missing a beat, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, but yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Is that not a perfect answer? And he does it with calm and he's gracious and he's direct and he tells them the truth. I love that they say, well, we don't know where he comes from. He goes, that's amazing that he showed up and he's doing miracles and he's glorifying God. That's wonderful. And he just speaks the truth to him. And he continues to hold fast to who Jesus is and what he's done for him. And then in verse 34, they say, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. And he holds fast and he sees that God is glorious. And he trusts him in everything. And what happens? They kick him out. They ostracize him. We don't have anything to do with him. Get out of here. They revile them. And so he's kicked out. And so I want to be clear when we say this. God is gracious and he's glorious. And when he sees that he's gracious and he's glorious and we hold fast to who he is and we continue to profess his name, there will be times when you get reviled. There will be times when you're shown the door. That's the reality. I think about our, our youth being in here and I look at you guys and I go, that's going to be the reality in your life. It's the way it's going. But Jesus is better. Trust him in everything. Even when people say that doesn't make sense, go with him. Always. He's got you in the midst of it. Trust him in everything. But that may be what happens. That may be the reality of it. That you get kicked out. That people make fun of you. They go, that's ridiculous. But you hold fast to who Jesus is. You see that God is gracious so that you don't have to fear others. And that's exactly what this guy's doing here. But then the very last thing, and I'll be brief on this one. The very last thing, they kick him out. And look what happens. I love this verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So Jesus goes and finds this guy. He hears what happens. Remember, man born blind, Jesus puts mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash. He's never seen Jesus. He just knows who he is, and he knows he's the one that's done it, but he doesn't know what he looks like. But Jesus comes and finds him. Do you believe in the Son of Man, he asks. 
And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And the last part I want you to see is that when you see God is good, you recognize that he's all you need. And Jesus comes and finds this man and he's been ostracized and he's been reviled and they've made fun of him and they've kicked him out. And Jesus comes and asks him, do you believe? And he says, well, who is he? And he says, it's me talking to you. And he says, yes, I believe and he worships. And what struck me here as I read this over and over this week is he just got kicked out. He just got attacked in all these ways. But when Jesus asked the question, all he says is, I believe and worships him. He doesn't say, hey, man, I stuck up for you and they're really giving me a hard time. What's the deal with all this? When he comes face to face with Jesus, the one who brought him from death to life, from blindness to seeing, and he sees him in front of him, everything else fades away and he worships because God alone is good. He is the only one that can meet all the deepest needs of your life and the desires of your soul. And this man knows that God is gracious and he knows that he's glorious. And as he stands face to face with Jesus, he knows that he's good. And he worships him. I love that Jesus goes and seeks him out. The same is true in your life. There's going to be times when you stand up and you speak the truth and you see that God's glorious and you're reviled. And the Bible tells you, don't do that in return, right? First Peter two, don't revile in return and trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Continue to entrust yourself to God in all things that he's got you, that he's in it with you, that he doesn't leave you and he never forsakes you and he's there with you and that he alone is all that you need. And so there are going to be times in your life when you're tempted to see that God is not good, to believe that you need other things, but he is the thing that you need. He is the one that carefully constructed your soul for his love. And his love is the only thing that will fully satisfy you in every way. So trust him in all things. And so I'll end here this morning. You know, I read this about him seeking him out and Jesus saying to him, do you believe in the son of man? He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And it dawned on me reading this, that the reality of Jesus seeking him out and him standing face to face is the same reality that you and I are going to have when we breathe our last breath. You're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to see him face to face and you're going to see him in the fullness of his glory. And you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that you've ever desired is found right there in him. And so we only get this breath of a moment in this life to trust him. To see his graciousness and his gloriousness and continue to hold fast to him in all things. And I'm certain that when we stand face to face with him, there is nothing that you do in this life holding fast to him in faith that you're going to regret. You'll be overwhelmed with his glory and you're going to be just like this man. I believe and you're going to worship. So, oh, that we would be faithful in the time that we have as we seek to trust him in all things. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We thank you that even in an ever-changing world and things that seem to be moving towards hostility, towards the things of your word, that you are sovereignly in control, that you are great.
and that we can trust you in that. I pray that we would see that you are gracious, that we are saved by what you have done for us, that we would see clearly that you are glorious, that we would trust what you say more than anything else, that that would be true of our lives. I pray that we would see that you are good, that you alone can satisfy our deepest needs, and in all these things you would continue to show us. We thank you that we are saved by your doing by your movement in our life, by your opening our eyes. We pray that we would live in the reality of that grace each and every day, making much of you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.